Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Oh, come on, give God some praise in the house today. Oh, it is awesome to be able to be with you all this morning. How's everybody doing? We good? Awesome. It is finally fall already. Wow, we made it through the first month of Pastor Eddie and Pastor Roxanne's sabbatical. You're still here, which is great. That makes me know that I'm doing okay at a minimum. I got to talk to them this week. They're in Georgia enjoying time with family and friends, feeling good, getting some of that southern hospitality down there. I miss the South. I miss Southern food a lot. Man. But they're doing great. Um, it's been an awesome week here at Restoration Life. We had Man Up Monday this past, this week with Pastor Adam. Um, our youth, they got to go to the Elevate Conference. I know they got blessed and inspired. And, you know, this week we, we wrap up DNA. We have our DNA potluck. Over 60 families that are now part of Restoration Life. Um, it's just awesome to see uh, us continue to grow. And in spite of all the obstacles and everything the enemy tries to throw at us, we are still growing and we are still thriving. Um, I'm really excited about today's message. I'm really excited about today's message. I don't think I'm going to get all the way through it, but I'm just, I'm really, really excited for uh, what we're going to be talking about. As you guys know, we've been in our series talking about our mission, our vision, and our values. Our mission, our vision, and our values. And then we're going to communicate these so much so it's going to be pouring out of you. We want you to, everywhere you go, you know what you're a part of. You know what you believe in. And you know why you resonate with Restoration Life Church. And so last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, because last week we had Pastor Adam. Just checking, just making sure everybody's paying attention. Two weeks ago we talked about the value, community is our blessing, Right? I told y'all take notes. All right, just making sure. Communion is our blessing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And the four keys that we picked up from that message, prioritize time. How's that been going? Two weeks so far? And life groups are back. Come on, life groups are back. And so if you missed last week, we did the life group expo, you can still join a life group. I'm like, oh man, I missed the expo. I guess I'm not in the life group. That's not how that works. So you can go online to our website, you can go to our app, and you can find life groups in your area. Reach out to the leader. That's the second part, engage, right? So you're going to prioritize some time to go look for a life group. Second one, you're going to engage. You're going to reach out to a leader. And then you're going to grow a core. You're going to actually go to a life group. You're going to build a relationship. And through the process of relationship, you're going to have grace for each other. That's our four keys to developing community. One thing I love about our church is the diversity in our church, and I'm not just in the ethnicity sense, but our diverseness in age, our diverseness in culture, our diverseness in style, and what it is, all this diversity driven to one accord, being in one mind together, is what makes us who we are. 
And we should celebrate that. And the way that we celebrate that is engaging with that. It's putting ourselves in an environment that is different from us and inviting people that are different from us. That we're all part of the same church, meaning we're all part of the same mind, same body, and we're all on one accord. But now we're able to engage in everybody's gifting and connect with everybody's spirit. And that's what God really wants to see. And I love that about our church. Today, we're going to unpack a value that addresses our service to God. The title of today's message, again, take notes, because you're not going to remember tomorrow. You're going to be like, wow, that was so good. What was it? I don't know, but it felt good. The title of today's message, Excellence is Our Standard. Excellence is our standard. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your provision, for your mercy and grace upon our lives. We thank you for your son Jesus, whose selfless sacrifice gave us the gift of salvation. We understand that we were set free by your love and grace alone. Because of this freedom, we submit our lives to your will. We ask through the Holy Spirit we be empowered with wisdom to live in obedience to your word. We ask for strength and discipline to remain steadfast in the face of temptation and adversity. Father, I lift up anyone within this church who is dealing with physical ailments, anyone watching online who's going through any kind of sickness right now, those who have been stricken with COVID, those who have pain in their body, we just pray for healing right now and peace be upon them. Father, I lift up anyone who is hurting in spirit, that your peace and comfort be beside them. We give you all the honor and praise. And everyone said, amen. Come on, give God some praise one more time. Thank you, Vienna. I want to read a quote to you, one of my favorite quotes. It says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. Now, I just want to, can I share something personal with you guys? Is that Okay. I know it's early in the morning, like, man, we're just here, we're trying to, we got football, come on, Max, what you doing? I just feel like I gotta tell, talk to you guys about something, is that cool? So for most of my life, I've, I've been a pretty active person. By that I mean, I started playing sports at a young age, I was the kids in the street, when that still existed, you know, playing street ball, you know, play from this car to that car, right? You know, we would, we would go to the park to hoop, or go to the school, and, you know, we were outside kids. I played, I was active all the time. And then I got into sports early on in my life. I, I played from flag football to street hockey to full-on uh, high school football. And it was when I went to high school, about 14, 15, is when I started lifting weights. Why? Because I met some Owens, and you learn that you are not that big as your family suggested. Have full grown men in high school. I'm like, this, how old are you? 14, dude. Like, you're 6'5. How are you 14? 
But in high school, that's when I, I began lifting weights. That was the first time I did. I, I'll never forget that first workout because, you know, usually you get sore like a day later, two days later. That's when it's like the worst. I was sore instantly, like instant soreness. I was just like walking, ah, so much pain. But anyway, from that point on, uh, my, my activity was usually like four to six days a week I was working out. Four to six days, because I played football all throughout high school. After high school, of course, I joined the military. That's physically demanding. My working out increased drastically. Then, you know, in the military, I really developed a, a, a passion for lifting weights and training, where I started investing into it and learning about it and getting very, very skilled in it. So much so that after the Army, I ended up getting my certification, my uh, NASM cert. I became a personal trainer. I became a strength and conditioning coach back at my high school, and I continued that. I continued being active four to six days a week training, probably up until about 2019, 2019. And in 2019, I had one of the scariest injuries that I've ever had. Even though like prior, I've had surgeries, knee surgery, shoulder surgery, I got a metal plate in my foot. That's why I walk weird for those who've been wondering, like, why he walk all like sideways like that? I got a metal plate in the foot, just deal with it. But up until 2019, I still try to be as active as I could. But in 2019, towards the end of the year, I had a, a really, really bad back injury. One that like scared me. If anybody's ever injured their back, it's one of the scariest things in the world. Because you can't move. Like everything just stops. Like usually like if I hurt my arm or my shoulder, I was like, ah, you know, shoulder. But I could still do everything else. I hurt my knee, get a crutch, I could still do everything else. Back, you're not moving. Like, I remember trying to move around the house, and I couldn't. I tried to get out of the bed just to go to the bathroom, and I fell, and I got stuck between the wall. Luckily, I had enough arm strength to brace myself, because I tried to roll out, and even though Teresa was like, don't, let me help you, I was like, I got this, because, you know, man, we stubborn, like, I don't need no help. So I roll, I get stuck, and I'm like, babe, I need your help. And, you know, after that injury, it's been hard for me to get back on track with my working out, with being as active, because in the back of my mind, I, every time I do something, I'm like, is it gonna happen again? Because I still don't know to this day what triggered that. But all the time I love working out, I love competing, I love being in sports and stuff like that, I got a problem. I love food. Like, I love food a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. And it's not, I don't think it's fair, and you guys might be in agreement, I don't think it's fair that the food that tastes good, that is also cheap and quick, just so happens to be really bad for you. I don't think that's fair. Because like, I know there's really good healthy food, but usually good healthy food is either expensive or takes a lot longer to prepare. And I ain't got that kind of time. Like, you know, like, Jack in the Box still got a value menu. Like, Tinder Greens don't. It's, it's simple math, like, and I don't think it's fair. So even though I was training my whole entire life, I never developed good eating habits. I would go to practice after lifting weights, shoot over to the burger spot and have chili cheese fries right after or before. It didn't really matter. I was like, I'm, I'm, I can do this. So this is no big deal. And all of a sudden, when I couldn't train anymore, my eating habits didn't change with it. And so, like, a couple of weeks ago, 
I'm watching the, the YouTube, just, you know, I like to watch my messages back to see, like, how I'm doing, how I can get better. But this time I'm watching myself, I'm like, that is a belly, bro. Dang, bro, you got fat. And nobody told me. Like, nobody said a word. Everybody here just like, oh, man, you look a swole. I'm trying to get like you. I'm like, y'all was lying to me. Like, nobody talking. It hit me, like, so hard in the face. Like, I turned sideways, and it's just like this, this Homer Simpson was just out here. I'm like, what happened, bro? Like, this whole time, everybody's worried about COVID-19. I caught a full COVID-30. And it's like, and nobody said nothing. See, but the problem was I'd never developed excellence completely in my training. See, I, I, only, I only worked on excellence in my, my performance and what I would show out. You know, because even still, for the time I still have the workout clothes, I got like the best workout clothes, I got the best workout playlist, I know how to do everything in the gym. I even know what to eat. But it doesn't matter because I didn't apply it completely. And so on the outside and exterior, I can look like somebody who works out. But the truth was, you're doing something that is unhealthy and that's destroying your body. If I'm being honest, I just got to be vulnerable today. I'm not healthy right now. And I got to change this. I tried to go running the other day. And I was like, I used to be able to do this. Like easy. I used to be able to run five miles in less than 40 minutes. Easy. And that was while smoking cigarettes a pack a day. Mind-blowing. But the thing was, no matter how much I tried to perform at a certain level, the toxicity of what I was doing to myself internally eventually was going to take hold. And that's how many of us end up living out our spiritual walk. Can I, are, we, are we tracking? Are we tracking? To put this in perspective, the issue that we are faced with in the church today, people have placed more focus on looking Christian than living like Christ. We have placed more focus on looking like a Christian than living like Christ. People are striving for an appearance of excellence, but never strive for giving God excellence in their heart. And what I want you to know today is you can do all the things externally, but until you give Christ your heart, that toxicity is still going to affect your life. So let's unpack this. Can we do this today? All right, let's go on the journey. I want you guys to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to go through verses 1 through 7. I'm reading this out of the ESV. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, 
We urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So when Paul encountered the churches in Macedonia, he was left in awe. Like he was like, I cannot believe the joy and generosity of these people. These churches and this land for centuries have been ravaged and have been war-torn. So much so, immense poverty had stricken the land to the point where people should have been beggars. Like everybody in this area should have been a beggar and should have been lowly and on the streets and in terrible condition. But Paul reports that they carry an immense joy inside of them and an eagerness to give generosity and grace even though their circumstance and situation will communicate otherwise. They, they produce excellence in spite of their circumstance. They didn't let their circumstance define their character. We're all, everybody with me? For generations, this land was ravaged under oppressive rule, yet the people did not let the conditions define who they were. They eagerly sought to be of service to God. First, he says, that they gave their lives to God, and by the will of God, they served us. Imagine that. Imagine the people, poverty-stricken, eager, and driven to like, please let me be a part of what you're doing. That's what Paul's reporting here. And in this portion of Scripture, we, we can see several characteristics that we should aspire for to excel in. So when we talk about what, it, I know when you hear this excellence is our standard, you're like, Pastor Max, what do you mean? I, I want to show you what we mean when we say excellence. What is godly excellence? Because we can be excellent at our job. We can be excellent at a skill, using our talents. But we want to get a good and solid understanding of godly excellence. Because when you have godly excellence, it will manifest in every single thing you do anyway. So let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of what is godly excellence. The first, here are the, the several things that he points out. He wants us to excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, earnestness, love, and grace. Repeat after me. Say faith. Say speech. Guys, I know how many people are in this room, and I know what a lot of people sound like. Repeat after me. Say faith. Say speech, speech. say knowledge, knowledge. Earnestness. earnestness, love, love. and grace. grace. Yay, look at you guys. So here we go, here's the first one. Excellence in faith. Excellence in faith. That sounds kind of crazy. Like how can you be excellent in faith? Don't you just, you have it or you don't? No, that's not true. First off, what is faith? What is faith? Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith kind of boils down to these two questions. Do you trust God and do you believe God's word? Do you trust God 
And do you believe God's word? This is the basis of faith. Although you have not physically seen everything, although you have not been an eyewitness to every single detail about creation, although you haven't been given the full meaning and details for the meaning of life, do you trust God? Because in order to please God, you must have faith. In order to please God, you must have faith. Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That and is very important. It's not enough to just say, I believe that God exists. The Bible declares that even the demons believe that he exists. That's not enough. You have to believe that he also rewards those who seek him because those who seek him are going to live according to his word, according to his standards, according to his principles, and everything that he laid out for us, amen. Faith must be woven into our very existence. You have to live your life completely and utterly in faith. That is what separates us from living like the rest of the world. See, the rest of the world lives in proof. Show me and I'll believe. Show me and I'll believe you. Prove it to me and I'll believe you. But God says, believe and I will show you. Put your faith in me and I will reveal to you. I can testify to that because the, the more I sought after God, the more I drew closer to God, the more I put my trust in God, the more things he began to reveal to me, to show me that these things in his word are true. And not everything was like this amazing, beautiful thing. No, some things were very scary. Like when we went on a mission trip and I didn't really believe in people being demonically possessed. I didn't think I shared this with DNA. I didn't think that was like a real thing. Like, you know, you see it in movies and stuff. But, you know, I took a step out in faith. I go on this mission trip. I, I, I didn't know if I was going to even have my job when I came back or anything. I was like, look, I'm going. I'm going to go be a part of this. It's going to be awesome. And I remember walking into this house, and it felt like really, really, really weird. Like, you're like, now, I don't see anybody around me. Why does it feel like people reach? And then we go over to this lady, and I've never seen somebody like in their 60s and 70s be a contortionist. And I'm like, okay, okay, that's weird. That's different. And then they laid hands on her, and like somebody poured five Alka-Seltzer tablets down her mouth, and she started foaming, eyes rolling back, and I heard sounds I had never heard before. And I'm like, oh, it's real. Wow. I'm going to step outside. Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I prayed. I prayed. <laughs> but the thing is, when you start to step out in faith, God was going to show you more. But it requires that step of faith. We're walking around our lives all the time like, God, I just want to know. I just want to know. Just tell me what you have for my life. If God revealed to you the full purpose of your life, it probably would scare you away from doing it. 
Because it's not how you saw your life planning out. God's perfect will might put you in a circumstance or a condition that you might not enjoy. And so he has to be able to play it out in your life as you step out in faith. Because when you operate in faith, you're putting your trust fully in him. So the things that don't make sense, the things that seem too big, like you're not equipped enough for, you're already equipped to trust in him through your faith. And there's only one way to grow in faith. You have to know God's word. You have to know God's word. Faith cometh from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. You can't detach faith from the word. You can't just say, I'm just spiritual, I just believe. That's the problem with culture now. You got all these people running around, I'm spiritual, I just believe. I just believe, you know, I don't, I don't need the word. I don't, I don't gotta read it like that. I don't have to know the word like that. I just believe. I think my faith is bigger because I don't know the word. False. That is like one of the biggest deceptions that man has ever led themselves to. And the reality is, we don't read the word and invest in the word because we're lazy. If we really break it down, we're lazy. It it takes too much effort to do that. I I know, I told you guys, like these messages, I'm I'm not trying to be me. All right, everyone looking at me like, hey, why are you up here yelling and stuff? No, we gotta get some foundational principles solidified inside of our thinking so we can start carrying ourselves and conducting ourselves how the word of God tells us. How can I operate in faith if I don't know God's word? People are leaning on all these supernatural affirmations and you know, I'm just waiting for a sign and I'm just, I'm looking for confirmation. And the confirmation comes from like the dumbest thing. I saw a commercial and like it was a couple on there, so I know like I'm supposed to get married. Like, you know, I, I was going down the street and a bus went by and it had Jamaica on it. So I think God wants to send me to Jamaica as a missionary. What? <laughs> this is what is happening. We are watching people be swayed away by their emotions because we don't want to put forth the effort and getting into our word. This is just a lack of discipline. In the same way, I didn't just gain this weight. It was a lack of discipline. It was me in the saying, I don't feel like taking the time to prepare, to make an effort to take care of my body. My physical failure wasn't so much that I couldn't train how I once did, is that I didn't develop a habit of nourishing my body. In the same way, you have to develop a habit of nourishing your spirit. You feed your spirit through the word of God. The word of God is our daily bread that we should be consuming daily. And for whatever reason, we turn this thing into a weekly snack where we fill our spirit up with so much stuff from the world, so many opinions, so many views, TikTok preachers, and all this stuff, and then we come to church 
for an hour and we're like, wow, I am full. I don't need to eat anymore for the rest of the week. That sounds crazy when you put it in that context. It'd be like me putting like a burger and fries up here. I'm like, this is your meal for the entire week. That's it. I know it's big, it's good, you eat it, you're going to be full for the time being, but then you can't eat anything else the rest of the week, unless it's garbage. It's, it's interesting when you put it in that context, but that's what we do to our spirit. So in order to have excellence in faith, I have, have, to, have, I have to have an excellent discipline in my time with God, spending time in his word, getting to know him through his word. God, what do you say about this circumstance? And when you know God's word, you don't have to guess anymore. You don't have to make things up anymore. You already understand because you know his word what God wants you to do. What would God want from me in this situation? I know because his word already told me. We cannot separate faith and the word. Everybody say amen. Awesome. Number two. Number two. Excellence in speech. So the first one is excellence in faith that we should have as godly excellence. The second one, excellence in speech. Now, this is not the ability to speak eloquently. Being a sharp talker, you know, sly tongue. That's not what it's talking about, having the gift of gab. What Paul is illustrating here is being able to communicate sound doctrine, to be able to communicate the truth of the Word of God, that when you speak, it is accurate to the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul writes, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Uh, we're seeing this happen more and more. More and more. And I'm not talking about people who come up with their own religious beliefs and things like that. I'm talking about people who try to take scripture, take what is true, twist it, manipulate it, and use it for their own purpose. I was on TikTok the other day, and I'm scrolling through, and somebody's doing like, the, you know, they do those duet things where you got somebody watching somebody do something. And so one individual is watching this guy who begins to talk about this portion of scripture in which he manipulates. And he says, in the Bible, Jesus helps one of his friends come out. In the context of he, Jesus was helping a friend come out of the closet of their sexuality. You know what story he tried to use? Lazarus. He tried to use the story of Lazarus to illustrate that Jesus wanted people to come out and be openly homosexual. This is happening. This is what people are doing. People are trying to take, twist, and manipulate scripture for their own purpose because it satisfies them, because it tickles their itching ears and makes them feel good. And if we aren't careful, if we aren't investing the time in the word, we ourselves can be susceptible to it. Now I know when I said that, it's like, whoa, that's a big one. But how many things have you allowed yourself to be tricked into? 
If we're being honest, name it and claim it. Jesus, God answers all prayers. That's false. God does not answer all prayers. There are conditions to that. I don't have time to elaborate. I got some other things to talk about. But if you know your word, you will know that's false. Did you know that if you are not living correctly, husbands, you're not honoring your wives, that God is not even listening to your prayer? That if you don't have grace and compassion for those who are in weak and needy condition, it's like a clinging gong to God when you pray? But the thing is, you can't know that until you know the word. And the thing is, you'll allow somebody else to communicate something that is false to you because it makes you feel good. And what Paul is trying to warn us about is do not be these people. It is better to hurt somebody with the truth than to kill their spirit with a lie. We think, we think that sugarcoating the word of God and watering it down and making it more palatable is going to set people free, but it's not. It's keeping them captive and in chains. As a matter of fact, it begins to diminish their faith because the things that you spoke out, they try to see it manifest in life and it doesn't take hold. And they're wondering why, because they've been listening to false teaching. And it requires the church to be say, you know what, I need to get myself properly equipped so that way I'm communicating the truth. It's not saying that you need to be a scholar, but it's saying when you speak out, know that you are speaking sound doctrine. Which is why I teach people, do not try to communicate something you don't know yet. It's okay to tell people I don't know. There are plenty of conversations that I've been in, even as a pastor, where people will ask me, I'm like, ugh, that's beyond my skill level at the point, but I'm gonna go find out. That's one of the things that helps me grow. I hated that feeling of when somebody would ask me a question and I had to go, I don't know. That encouraged me, if you don't know, you need to know, because people are asking these questions. Let's not be okay and complacent with ignorance, especially when information and wisdom is right there. We don't live in a time where you gotta go to the library and go get the manuscripts and to the halls and sit down and unpack every single thing. You have Google. Google, you know how amazing that would be? Can you imagine the scribes looking back like, you have no idea what we went through to try to put this Bible together and here you are with your Google and your YouTube and you don't even use it. The Bible app has hundreds of translations, hundreds of study guides, hundreds of plans and teaching that make it easy. So easy. But what does it come down to? Effort. Are you willing to make an effort on the behalf of someone else's soul? To grow closer with God? You know, before you had to become a linguist to be able to translate the Bible, you had to become like a scholarly researcher or a massive historian in order to be able to understand the word of God. You know what, if you don't know Hebrew, you can literally go on an app and translate it. So for example, if you don't believe the words and scriptures that I'm reading, like that's not the real context, that's not what Jesus said, put it in Hebrew, put it in Greek, put it in Aramaic and translate it. See what it says. You can do that now at the click of a button. That's what blows my mind, it's like, no, I don't know ancient Greek or ancient Hebrew, but I know how to use the tools that can tell me what those words were. 
we have to be able to get past this, this laziness. I'm going to just put it as plain as I can. It's laziness. We'll say, I'm busy. I just got so much. There's just so many things in our lives. The reality is it's just not that important. And I know that stings. I know that hurts. But it's the reality. This has to mean something to you. Because if it was your job that was on the line and it said, hey, tomorrow I need you to learn this manual or you're fired, you would learn the manual. Right? You would learn the manual. Your job requires you to know this. If you look at professional athletes, you will not play on this team unless you know this playbook. They learn the playbook. So why is it that we say, I want to be a follower of Christ, but we don't want to know his playbook? And we're finding ourselves, I don't get it. It's right there. It's right there, right in front of us. And I, I get it. I completely understand. Sometimes it is hard to read. That's why you got to have to, that's why you use resources. That's why you get teachers beside you. That's why you surround yourself in community. That's why you go to Life Group. That's why you go to ROU. That's why you go to all these different things that will deposit into you to equip you so that you can speak. Not everyone in here is meant to become a pastor or a preacher, nor is Paul saying that. But we are, we are all called to preach the gospel. At a minimum, we should know the gospel. We should be able to speak that out. That's, that's the minimum. At a minimum, we should be able to give testimony about our transformation in our spirit that God has worked out in our lives. That's the minimum when it comes to excellence. We understand that the gospel is important clearly. They, they're put four of them in the Bible for a reason. Kind of important. Kind of important part of the Bible, four of them for us to be able to learn from. And again, I'm not coming down on you. I want to encourage you and empower you. God has placed gifting and anointing inside of you to be able to be used for his kingdom purpose, but you cannot use it completely to its full potential until you act out in faith. To act out in faith, you have to know the word. To be able to know the word and speak the word out, you have to spend time with it. It is meant for your betterment. It's only gonna make you better. You know, on, on the, with everything that's going on, with the Facebook and the Instagram and YouTube and TikTok theologians popping up and all this stuff flooding the internet, if we do not take time to grow in our understanding of the word, on the, on the short side of things, you'll just become, you know, a decent motivational speaker, which we see, right? Come on, let's be honest. We see that. We see some speaking going on out there, and it's like, all right, it's pumped up. But it's, it's no substance there. On the far side of things, you will lead somebody completely away from God. Understand how important your voice is. That God equipped you with a voice to be able to speak out truth in love and in grace. That people may come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Each and every one of you have that ability you have to stop doubting yourself that I'm not capable, I'm not the one. When the Bible talks about preaching the gospel, go therefore, he can't be talking about me. He's definitely talking about you. He's definitely talking about you. He wants to use your story, your testimony, as crazy as it was. You know, for a long time, I disqualified myself from being able to minister because of my past. 
I was like, they're going to find out those things. He was like, well, expose it then. If they're going to find out, remove the shame off of you and let my glory be seen through your life. This is what Christ is asking of us. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded to you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's commandment for us and how we are to live aren't hidden under some rock in the bottom of the ocean. It's right there in front of us, covered in 66 books by over 40 different authors. You can find it. It's right there. And if you got questions, that's what we're here for. Don't let that thought get inside your head. Well, I don't want to sound dumb. I don't, I don't want to look like I don't get it. None of us get it at first. Are you kidding me? You read through Leviticus? Some of y'all ain't laughing because you ain't read Leviticus yet. Trust me. Go read it. You'll be like, this makes zero sense. Zero. And the thing is, you're training yourself, you're growing. When you become saved, you're born again. So that means you have to learn how to read again, but you're learning to read through the Spirit and not with your eyes and your mind. See, when you learn to read with the Spirit, you can grasp the fullness and the completeness of God's Word. We must desire to be excellent in speech. That should be a desire. You know, the only gift that, they, that the Word of God says that you should pray for is pray for the gift of prophecy, that you may edify the body. But the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet, a true prophet is going to communicate from the word of God. If you try to be a prophet and it contradicts the word of God, you're a false prophet. But the kingdom needs prophets. So we should have this desire to become excellent in speech because souls depend on it. The church depends on it. Lives depend on it. When we speak the word of God, we are wielding our weapon of spiritual warfare. You want to tear down strongholds? You want to tear down demons out of your lives? Wield the word of God. You want to pour into somebody's life and see a transformation? Wield the word of God. Speak it out. You don't have to call on a pastor every single time something's going wrong in your life when you know how to wield the word of God. You can lay hands on your family the same way that I can. The same spirit that's in me is in you. But you have to learn how to wield the word of God. That is your weapon of spiritual warfare. Grab hold of your sword. Don't be afraid to use it. It's that nobody cares about a sword that just sits on the wall and it looks pretty. Hey, look at, my, look at my sword. I got one of those. pretty cool. You ever use it? No. I'm kind of scared of it. It's kind of sharp, you know. Don't want to risk hurting myself. Hmm. Could it be that we don't like to get into the Word because when we read the Word, we become convicted by the Word. And for that reason, we're afraid to open it. But that's exactly what it's for, that we're able to also look at it and examine ourselves. That way we can learn ourselves to be righteous. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Stop being afraid of conviction. 
Conviction wasn't meant to hurt you. It wasn't meant to shame you. It was meant to be able to help you repent and turn away. Stop letting these words become negative, uh, negative words in your life. Repentance is a blessing. Conviction is a blessing. You don't know that you're far away from God without conviction. It's when you feel it in your spirit like I'm doing something that goes against God. When you read the word and it brings forth that conviction, thank God for that. God, thank you for speaking to me right now. Thank you for communicating to me right now. Thank you for revealing the things I need to come together with you in alignment and allow you to make new inside of my heart right now. Do not let the enemy get a hold of your thoughts and convince you that somehow when you're convicted by the word, this is wrong. It is a blessing from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here's the third one. Number three. Excellence in knowledge. Excellence in knowledge. Now, this is not just the knowing of Scripture. That's not what Paul's communicating. He don't just want you to know Scripture. This is the application of Scripture. That when you read the Word, you apply the Word. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 says this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture because James talks like I talk. We, we keep it real simple. Like I know I don't have like the emotional tone and like I'm big and all that stuff. I, I look like Suge Knight. I get it. But... <laughs> But when I read this portion of Scripture and I read James' tonality, he's just trying to make it simple. Like, listen, it's, we overcomplicate this. Just do what it says. Do what it says. Know that this is good for you. You're not doing it because I'm demanding it of you and I want something from you. I already gave you life. I'm not asking you for something. You're doing it because you love them. Because you love God, you love Christ. That's why we're obedient to the word. The difficulty comes into place when we allow our own desires to tempt us into twisting the word of God and creating the word for our own favor. Calling it God favor. Oh, this must be God. Here's some dangerous statements that I hear people make. I don't think God would want me to. Fill in the blank. I just feel that God would fill in the blank. You know, this kind of feels like a confirmation from God. Fill in the blank. When people start to attach these phrases and these statements onto their destination in life, more often than not, they contradict Scripture. Because I said, when you know the word of God, you don't have to guess what God will want. 
it's, it's very, very simple as to what he wants and for you, us to be able to do what he says. Here's my assessment. You don't have to take this, but this is just my assessment. When, when I'm faced with decisions that are life-making or life-changing decisions, the questions that I begin to ask is, does this require me to depend on him and not on my own strength, not on my own knowledge, not on my own ability? Does it require me to give full dependence on him? If the answer is yes, then more than likely that's a God thing. Does this produce fruit as stated in the word of God? Look, your bank account growing bigger is not fruit. You finally get in that relationship that you can post on Instagram, it's not fruit. Finally, couples go, yay. That's not the fruit that the word of God talks about. But when we know the word, we understand that there's a certain kind of fruit that the God is looking for us to be able to produce. And if what God is asking me to do produces that kind of fruit, then it is a God thing. Does this lead people to knowing the love and gospel of Jesus? Then it's a God thing. Does this make my life easier and more convenient while still being noble? It's probably a good thing, but doesn't necessarily make it a God thing. Like that new car doesn't necessarily mean it's a God thing. Some of it just means you worked really hard and you earned it. God, thank you. Thank you for a new car. Like, uh, that was kind of part of the package. I didn't really make the car happen. Don't get me wrong. There are certain things that God will maneuver in a time of blessing to bless people with certain things. But God wants to bless you abundantly beyond the monetary. Abundantly beyond the monetary. A simple one is, does this contradict the word of God? That's a simple question to ask, is when you have a decision to make, does this contradict the word of God? Do I find myself trying to manipulate scripture in order to have my way? If the answer is yes to that, not a God thing. As a matter of fact, it's an evil thing. Well, we're, you know, we're kind of married. What does that mean? You know, we've just been, you know, living life, enjoying life, you know. That's not, that's not what the word of God says. It says that we're supposed to come in covenant with each other, amen? Oh, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just, just living life, you know, trying to figure it out as I go. And, you know, either Solomon had like a thousand concubines, and I'm pretty sure God's okay with that. What? No. No. Don't get God's permissive will twisted with God's perfect will. What that means is God, just because God let something happen doesn't mean that was what God designed to happen. God designed a perfect will for your life. But if you want to stray away from God and do things on your own accord, he will let you. Why? Because he loves you. That's the truest kind of love you can have. Is that even if you want to walk away from me, I will allow you to do so. But we get that twisted. And we try to call things that go against God, godly things, because we don't know God's word. We got to stop praying for stuff that we know isn't in God's will. <laughs> we got to stop waiting around claiming to be seeking God's will when it's right there in his word. 
How can we claim that I'm seeking you, God, I'm after you, God, and we never spend time with him? When he, that's all he wants. If we want to give God excellence, we have to do our best to apply what his word says. Apply what his word says. Husbands, honor and love your wives. Wives, submit and respect your husbands. Children, honor and obey your parents. Keep yourself pure. Flee from evil. Set your mind on things that are holy and righteous. Be kind. Be compassionate. Have empathy. Forgive. Show mercy. Be generous. Love one another. This is application of scripture. And notice, none of this requires you to be a scholar, a theologian, a doctor. It requires you trusting God with your life. God just wants a relationship with us. I just want to love you. I just want to have your back. He's not looking for perfection, church. Effort. Give me your best effort. Give me your best effort. We say this, people say this a lot, God knows my heart. All right, that's a, that's, that's a thing. God knows my heart, and it's true. God does know your heart. He knows the heart that is repentant and truly seeking after him. And the heart that is complacent and content with where they're at in life. What you have to be able to do is examine your heart. Where does your heart stand in relationship with God? Do you trust God with your life to be the one who goes before you to make the decisions? Do you trust him enough that you incorporate him as you plan for your family? And that if God tells you no, it's no. And if God tells you go, it's go. That God, whatever you ask of me, I trust you. It's effort. It always comes down to effort. He's not looking down for perfection. So some of us were sitting in here, we're like, well, I'm not perfect. No, and you're never gonna be. We won't leave this world perfect. We're not perfect until after we ascend from our bodies. Then you are made perfect through him. But you're capable of giving God your best in your heart and in your effort. God doesn't, we're not, here's what I want you to get. You're not working for salvation. You're not working to be saved. You're not obedient so that you can say, oh, I need to be obedient so I can get saved. I need to work so I can be saved. I need to look like a Christian so I can be saved. Do you understand you've already been saved? You understand that he already made the way while you're trying to figure out the way? You understand that God already made the sacrifice on your behalf to set you free, to give you a new life? And it's because of that sacrifice, when we accept that sacrifice, when we understand the grace and love of God, that it challenges our hearts to submit to him. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not your own doing It is a gift from God Not a result of works So that no one may be, 
boast. We do not earn salvation. We don't earn our way into heaven. God has already made a way. He has already tore a veil. We already have access to him. His son set us free through his sacrifice, empowered us with the Holy Spirit that restores our mind and our spirit, given to you free, completely free, to give you a new life and a new mind and a new opportunity to bring him praise, to bring him honor and bring him glory. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, you're here in this place and as I'm speaking these words, you can honestly say, right now, my heart isn't where it needs to be. My heart is not seeking after God's will. My heart has gone complacent. My heart has grown content. If you're here right now, and this is one you gotta respond to, church. You, you cannot, you cannot be satisfied with complacency. If you really wanna see God move in your life, I'm gonna need you to take a step of faith here. If that's you right now, you honestly say, my heart is not where it should be. I am not pursuing God as I should be. I am not giving him excellence as I should be. If that's you right now, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to this altar and I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Our God is calling people in this room right now to so much more in their life. He is challenging people in this room. And this is not condemnation. This is not to destroy you. This is not to tear you apart, but it's to set you free and empower you. It is to uplift you. It is to put you on a divine purpose and direction that God can use your life in a powerful way to reach people all around the world, to reach those you've been trying to get a hold of and connect with. God wants to use people in here, but you have to be able to surrender your life and surrender your will to him. If that's you in this place, you say, God, today I want to give you excellence. God, I commit to you excellence today. If that's you in this place, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come to this.